We're kicking off a series called Justice for All, and it is, it, it is like as opposite as you can get from sort of a style of series we just finished as we did sort of the Old Testament survey of Genesis for six weeks. Um, and we do this, I just want you to hear, we do it intentionally. We do it intentionally. We have an am- amazing Easter celebration coming up, uh, Victory in Jesus. We're going to be talking over a few weeks of what Je- Jesus brings victory to our lives. Um, and so you know, if you've been around for a while, you know we do this intentionally as a church. But we kind of sandwiched in here uh, a kind of a current day, current event series in which we want to be able to discuss what you are already having to engage and discuss in, in our culture. And is there anything the Word of God has to say about justice, since that seems to be, at least over the last couple of years, a really big source and driver of some of the conversations uh, that we've seen in justice in the world, among people groups, um, systematic issues, things like that. Um, and I, here's some of the quotes that I think you guys might recognize. I went ahead and pulled a few quotes that I really liked over the last year. Uh, some of these you might recognize as Martin Luther King Jr. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It's a beautiful, beautiful quote in terms of, you know, when there is injustice at all, uh, you know, then, then, it's, then it's a problem. It's a problem for even the people who want uh, justice. Hopefully you've seen this one as well. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. It's Benjamin Franklin. Justice can't be served until those, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an argument for people who just want to be complicit or passive. It's an argument about the fact that you, you, you really can't see justice happen until you are affected or bothered by the injustice in our life. And after the murder of George Floyd last year, uh, our church took a moment just to talk a little bit about racism, specifically racism. And we talked about the justice needed. And I read this quote to you by N.T. Wright in terms of God's heart. That justice is the intention of God expressed from Genesis to Revelation to set the whole world right. Justice for all. And that's why we wanted to talk about this over the next couple weeks. Scripture's pretty clear about our call for justice. And I love this particular verse. If, it's, if we have a theme verse uh, for this series, it's this one from Micah 6.8. Many of you guys might know this one. He, God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord, what are those three words? Say them out loud. Yeah, require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Those three things, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Required of us, just good little words to remember, not suggestions, right? Not, it would be nice, but required of us. Here's another quote that I loved, and especially how we're going to be approaching this topic. Uh, This is from a a British statesman in the 1800s. Justice is, what's that word? Say it out loud. It's truth in action. Justice is truth in action. And I love the two, the, the word, the way he used those words, because I believe that's going to be our approach. If we really truly do desire to see justice, especially justice for everyone, we're going to have to come to an understanding of truth. Go to the next slide. Absolute truth. You can use any word you want. Universal truth. A truth that applies to everyone, everywhere, for all times, for all civilizations. It's an absolute truth. If you really want to experience and see justice for all. That's the bottom line of the series. I don't want to give you any 
you know, just, we're not going to try to, uh, what's it called, bait and switch, bait and switch you? Yeah. I hardly ever get them right on the first time. Hey, you know, it's going to be a good day. Bait and switches. I just want you to know this is where we're headed. This is how we understand and how we're going to look at Scripture in terms of what God might have to say about how you and I engage in this conversation, how we engage in our current culture with a heart for justice. I want to give you this really cool, a couple really things from great books that I love. Um, and I've done a lot of research and, and preparation and prayer for this series. Um, let me just go ahead and tell you right up front. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I'm going to give you a lot of context. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff I've, I've, I've researched. I'm going to walk you through today kind of where we're headed for the next two weeks, but it's a strong foundational ideal today. Now, you may not agree with anything that I read from a book or opinions that I have, and that's fine. You do not have to agree with me, but I'm going to show you in scripture what it is you should be paying attention to as well. Does that make sense? Is that fair? All right. You don't have to agree with something Matt says. But I do want you to pay attention every time we read Scripture. And I do actually think the historical context and information is important. I think we need to understand the history of anything, especially when we are seeking truth. When we're, when we're going to talk about justice in light with its truth, it's truth in action. I love this. Uh, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, from Mere Christianity. If you haven't read that book, I strongly uh, recommend it. But here's a quote from him. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. So the way, C.S. Lewis was not a Christian. Mere Christianity is his, his testimony, if you will, of how he sort of approached uh, intellectually, kind of tore, was trying to tear apart um, the, the, the arguments of who God is and Jesus. And it's a beautiful story. But he said, my argument against God was that the universe just seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten the idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. What, I was what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? See, C.S. Lewis has a way of just reframing questions, you know? He was upset with God because everything just seemed cruel and unjust, and, and then it was kind of like, well, you know, what is this, this, this going to look like for us, right? And he says, well, I, how do I know what a crooked line is if I don't know what a straight line is? Now, I'm going to share with you a book and some study from the historical approaches to justice in terms of how we have engaged in this conversation, really kind of cyclical, kind of like it shows up every few decades uh, for a really long time, for centuries. And this actually comes from a book uh, from uh, Alasdair uh, McIntyre. I tried to learn his name, but we're going to call him Mr. McIntyre, all right? The book's called Who's Justice and Which Rationality? Here's the reason why. He goes on to say that behind every understanding of justice is a set of philosophical beliefs about human nature and purpose, morality, and practical rationality. How basically how we know things and justify what is true. Now this, I just want you to know, Mr. McIntyre's not a, at least from what we know in terms of writing this, he wasn't a believer he has since then kind of come to some strange beliefs. I can't call him a Christian, but some sort of version of a Roman Catholic kind of feel. And, and um, at least later in his life, that's what he did. But when he was, he's really a student of morality and philosophy and culture. And so that's what he was basically all his papers and books and all that was writing about what he saw in terms of the psychology and sociology of, uh, of culture. So very, very philosophical. So he goes on to say, you know, this is really true about all of the ways that people have approached 
justice since the beginning. So he actually goes on to give four categories of how people approach justice, because that was why his argument was, well, which justice are you looking for? You know, what's, what, what approach are you looking for? What rationale are you using to claim that you want justice for all? There's classical, which he can go all the way back to Homer and Aristotle, and he kind of gives some attributes, some things to certain people. There's biblical, which not only is in the Bible, but he talked about Augustine and some of the things that he wrote that talks about the principles that you apply. There's the Enlightenment approach, which was David Locke and uh, I think John Locke and David Hume. Uh, he gives a lot of credit to in terms of the philo- philosophical you know, influence of the day for them in terms of the Enlightenment period. And then he considers postmodern kind of everything after that, but honestly has many, 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 many conflicting streams that kind of run together and kind of don't, and I'll, I'll share more in a minute, but he just kind of gives these categories. You know, we've seen approaches to, to the way people talk about justice in a lot of different ways, but, but in, t- in terms of today, modern times, I'd say, it has everything to do with the fact that whether it's the Enlightenment period or the postmodern arguments... Everything sort of has the sliding scale, if you will, of the reason humans exist, the morality that we choose, and some sort of practical rationale. But that's, that's what we've done. Now, we've left religion and God out of it, just to let you know. <laughs> we've left religion and God out of, out of the conversation in the Enlightenment period and the postmodern period. But I want to show you from, from his writing and his observation. Now, this book was written... 35 years ago, okay, 35 years ago, I'm going to give you this quick graph. There's kind of a sliding scale, if you will, from individualism to collectivism in terms of where people approach and how they approach it differently. And I want to give you just real quick summary statements, real quick summary statements. If you want to look this up later, you're more than welcome to. Real quick summary statements of all these different approaches, especially that have their roots in the Enlightenment period and the postmodern uh, period. Again, I'm going to read some things, and you, it'll sound like it was written yesterday, but it's 35 years old. Libertarian, far left side in terms of, uh, of uh, freedom or individualism, this is about freedom. A just society promotes individual freedom. This requires a small government, a focus on individual rights, and a free market. Assuming, however, that every human is essentially good and will do good to others out of self-interest. All right? So that's, that's the argument. It's the highly individualistic, highly individualistic in terms of freedom, that a just society promotes individual freedom. Liberal, don't put your political hats on, okay? This is not, this is not written that way. Liberal was a just society promotes fairness to all, right? Your individual rights are not just rights, but they become entitlements, Rational self-interest around socially and economically things being fair, you don't need moral values, you just need to pursue what you believe is good. Again, driven by self-interest, you're going to pursue fairness and you're going to pursue what you believe is good as long as it, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody else. Move a little bit further down the line, your utilitarian view is that just society maximizes the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. All right, this is not nearly as influential, but it's intuitive in pop culture, okay, because everybody wants to, happiness. They believe happiness is the answer for, for to help things be just, all right? Um, it goes on to say that a search for 
Hold on, let me get my notes here. Yeah, a search for common practical rationale around happiness, that if it makes the most people happy, then it must be just. This is, you think about the way that uh, the news media uses polls, right? You know, it's 51%. Almost all Americans believe that this is, you know, everybody with me? Okay, that's, that's what that means. It's a collective view. It's a collective sense of things, right? For the happiness for the most. So if it makes the most people happy, then it must be just. Boundaries are simply established on the harm principle, which basically means that if, you know, if, you're, if what makes you happy harms others, then we have to look at that. Problem is that they're seldom enforced. Individual rights in this model, individual rights are seen as barriers to the majority of people being happy. Then you get all the way to the postmodern, and it says a just society subverts the power of dominant groups in favor of the oppressed. And he goes on to write a lot more about this kind of multiple, you know, track of justice seekers. Unequal outcomes and wealth, well-being, opportunity are never due to individual actions, but they're due to unjust social structures and systems. We always have to address the problem system, not the people. The more marginalized and powerless people are, the more that they have high moral ground or true knowledge of what needs to be. Those with more privilege have no right to complain or advise. Power is exercised through language. This dominant discourse is any truth claim, science, reason, religion, morality, whatever it is. It does not merely describe reality, but it constructs and creates their reality. Individual human rights are viewed as an obstacle to the changes needed to correct culture. Now, here's the problem with this graph, and I want to go ahead and address it. The problem with this graph is that what you want to do initially is go, that's me. That's exactly, that's what you want in your head, you want to go, well, that's right, right? And then you also instinctively want to go, that's them, right? That's them. That's my sister-in-law, you know? Like, yeah, like, I know, I know that's true. You instinctively want to go, Ugh! you know, one feels much more Ugh, America, you know, it just feels very like what should be. And then you go down another way, you're like, ah, that's, I don't like that. It rubs me wrong. Okay, that, I get it. The reason I wanted to share this with you and the reason I felt like it was really critical is to help us understand that there are different views of how to approach justice. So you and I are going to engage in a justice conversation with a world that you have no idea what their view of justice is. Is it happiness? Is it freedom? Is it power? Is it fairness? Right? Is it, does it have roots in individualness or collectivism? Like, like you're going to be engaging in conversation with people about justice and you're not going to know that there's a really strong sliding scale of how people view and interpret justice, especially today, especially in, in, our, in our culture currently today. Now, I'm going to say one more thing just to kind of take us, bring us on the same page. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just giving you, again, this strong, strong opinion of what is seen based on what we see from historical context, okay? That is this word, wokeness, okay, wokeness, it does not equal justice, Okay, and, I, and I want you to hear that clearly. If you think of that word as a negative word, that's okay. I'm using it in the most negative context you can use it. I'm not talking about systems that need to change. I'm not talking about things that, that are reprehensible. I'm talking about this idea 
that all the millennials and the Xennials and the Gen Xers and the Zers all just woke up and now they're just smarter than everyone, right? They woke up and they, they have a knowledge that no one else has, that no one else can see, and they're going to solve it right? They're going to fix it. They're going to tear it down. They're going to rewrite it. They're going to pass the new laws and destroy the old laws and, and, and rewrite history. And they're going to do all these things because they are, I mean, it's just, it's brand new. And I can promise you, it is not brand new, okay? It falls in line with one of that sliding scale of one of those four things. It's not, and, and it's not always driven, again, for what we would call justice, this woke ideology, and here's the thing, it won't happen. It won't happen. Justice for all will not happen. Why? Well, this is my statement. Woke ideology attempts to satisfy an insatiable offense culture. Woke ideology attempts, hear the words attempts, to satisfy, right? An insatiable, something that can't be satisfied, offense culture. Okay, you, you can think I'm wrong, but just think about it. No apology is enough. No cancel is enough. We won't be able to cancel enough things. We won't be able to get rid of the problems. We, we, we won't be able to, to silence the minority kind of dissenting view. We won't. It will never be enough. We will never get to a place where people are not offended. And part of this, again, depending on the approach, it doesn't really matter, part of that woke kind of new idea of woke culture is that, well, we can solve it. We can fix it for everyone. And it won't because it's insatiable. It is, you cannot satisfy the offense culture that we currently have today. So it's not going to work. Will some things change? Yes. And what you'll see with this historical model is that, you know, every, every several other decades, like, things do change. And we rejoice in seeing the proper things needing to change and get better, but it doesn't all work, and it doesn't change for everyone, and it doesn't give justice for all. Why? Because it can't. Our approach is, don't hear me say, and again, I'll give this last disclaimer, don't hear me say anything today about that the point of this series is not to address the things that need to change. We're going to spend a lot of time that at the end of the day and, and next week. Or get better, or that legitimate problems don't exist. Right? We know racism is wrong. Right? We know treating marginalized people and people groups without respect and without dignity is wrong. We know that oppression is wrong. We know that oppressive and complicit segregation is wrong. And as followers of Jesus, we want justice for all. We really do. So don't hear, me, don't hear me by saying, by focusing so much on this, don't hear me say, oh, nothing needs to change. That's not at all what we're going to be talking about. It's how we approach it that matters. It's how we approach it that's going to really make a difference in our conversation and in our culture or not. To seek justice for all, we must, must seek absolute truth. If we really want it, if you're going to be a champion for the marginalized, if you want to be someone who fights for justice in this world and really wants to see a change, 
we've got to seek absolute truth. We've got to seek a truth that is true to everyone, regardless of, you know, when they were born, when they weren't born, what skin color they have, their social economic group. It's true for everyone. It's an absolute universal truth. We have to have it. We cannot correct a crooked line if we don't know what a straight line is. Everybody with me? So what does the Bible have to say? Well, here's just a few verses. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to, say the words out loud, your truth. Teach me your ways, God. I want to live my life according to what you say is true, according to your truth. Keep going. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is, say the word out loud, to teach us what's true. <laughs> and guess what? It makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. You mean we could be wrong? Is that possible? Well, yeah, according to this, we have an absolute truth that teaches us what is true and reveals what is wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. He uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God, teach me your ways. I want to live according to your truth. All scripture is from you, and it, and it delivers and teaches us what is true. We were given, it was given to us for a reason. Jesus said this in John 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples, if you. Now, if you were to finish this right now in our culture, you are truly my disciples if you fight for justice. You are truly my disciples if you are anti-racist. You are truly my disciples if you, if you obey all my rules and do what I've called you to do and don't cuss, drink, or chew, or date girls that do, right? <laughs> if you give enough money to the church, if you... Win every argument online. Well, that seems to be the mission of every Christian I know. If you boycott people you disagree with, if you wear a mask and get vaccinated, if you help America be great again. Oh, you'll, you'll be my disciples if you do those things. And that is certainly the message we have declared to the world. But here's what Jesus actually said. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to What? Yeah, my way, my word, my truth. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is purpose in the truth. Jesus was pretty, pretty, pretty exclusive when he spoke about truth. He didn't buy all the inclusion garbage. He was pretty exclusive when he came about truth. Truth comes from God. He says, I say what I hear the Father saying, and I do what I see the Father doing, and I do what he tells me to do. Because there is a source of truth that brings justice for all, but it's his truth, and it's his way. Which is why Jesus was able to say these words. He says, I am the way, and I am the what? I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to come to the Father except through me. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. Right? Like, it doesn't matter what game you think you're playing, it doesn't work. Because I'm the way, and I'm the truth, 
and I'm the life. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter how you logically get there. I am the truth. Fairly exclusive. He had a lot to say about it. We're going to talk about more in the next couple weeks, but and we're, listen, I'm not talking to you people at Journey because you guys are amazing. This does not apply to you. Okay? You guys are all in, highly intelligent people. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here. That's all I'm saying, right? <laughs> I am going to talk about the temptation that we all have and why it is that our current, our, us, you and me, our current conversations about justice in this last couple of years, just they don't seem to be getting any traction. They don't seem to be working. Like, we, we think we're talking the right way. We have, we have Christian beliefs and understanding of the Word of God to whatever degree you understand it. And we're trying to engage in this conversation, but it just doesn't seem to be getting any traction. It doesn't seem to be getting any, any, anywhere. It doesn't seem to be giving us justice for all. And there's a reason for that. And I want to just briefly give us, if you've been here before, you've heard me say this. I, I talk about this a lot, but I'm going to give you the brief definition again today of how this works and why it's so critical that you understand it is that we engage in all these conversations, we engage in this my truth versus your truth debate. My truth versus your truth. This is what Facebook is full of. This is what Twitter is full of. This is what most conversations online are full of. I should say full of something else, but it's full of this, right? That's what it's full of. It's my truth and it's your truth, and we just argue about it. We just argue about it. Here's how we construct this, okay? My truth. The way I construct this, and you've heard me talk about all these things before, first and foremost, feelings. First and foremost, feelings. If it feels right, it must be true, okay? That's our current cultural bent in the church and in our world. If it feels right, it must be true. Emotions are the most popular basis right now for making decisions today and influencing us. How can anyone argue with how you feel? I know my truth. You guys with me? If I'm in the majority, which goes back to now popular opinion, if what I feel and what I think is true is in the majority opinion, or I simply can find enough things to make it seem like there's a lot more people that agree with me than agree with you, then that's my truth. So it's how I feel, it's whether or not I have enough kind of ammo for it or backing or people that, that, you know, I can find a lot of things that make it feel that I'm right. It must be true. What about the facts? Well, I've got facts and science and reason on my side. Why? Because it's the only logical way that I can see it. It's the only logical way that I can see it. I can't put two plus four together and make 24-7. I can't do it, Right? I don't care what Common Core math says. I can, you can't do it, right? Can't do it. This is the only way. This is the, the this equals this plus this. And you have your facts and you have your thoughts and you have your reason. And this all mixed into this stew compiles your truth, my truth. And if you're a Christian, like a little bit of salt and pepper, you season in some of the Christian language. You season in some of the Christian ideals, well, I believe this because, you know, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. doesn't matter how much scripture you know. It doesn't even be something you personally read. It can be what you heard somebody say that was in there. And you sprinkle it in. And you use the right words. 
And you start talking about, you know, how much, how Jesus would do it and how God would want to see it happen and do all this. And, and, and all of a sudden, your truth begins to be an argument for God, for Christianity. But it's not his truth you're arguing. It's actually still your truth because it's about what you feel that's right and therefore, that's right and therefore just. It's about how you feel like people agree with you, your bias of confirmation. And it's about your reasoning, even if it's got like a little Christian bumper sticker on it, right? Let me give you, let me give you a, a really, this is a hard example, but let me, let me just share with you. This is the one I have heard a lot in the past couple of years, all right? This is Christians. I'm a Christian. My best friend, my sister, my brother, well, they're, they're gay. They've come out and said they're gay. I love them. This is one of the greatest people that I know right? Now, if you're going to get into a conversation about whether it's right or wrong, I don't know how to have that conversation with you because this person's amazing. If you only knew this person, you would agree with me about how amazing they are. Everyone seems to be fine with it, except for those few that sort of say they're not. God made this person this way. He doesn't make mistakes. I've heard lots of things. I can find five bloggers that tell me that's the way that works. Five Christian bloggers, sorry. So it has to be fine. This seems very old-fashioned. It seems very archaic and backwards thinking. So I don't know what those fundamentalists and fundies are trying to pull. But you can't, I cannot, as a Christian, this person grew up in church with me. I cannot, as a Christian, look at them and tell them that they're wrong. I can't. Because my truth, based on how I feel, based on the opinions and popular opinions of the day, and based on logically what I already know, I just can't come to the same conclusion that you're coming to. I'm just telling you, this is, this is a conversation I've been having the last few years. And if you don't think it's affecting Christians and their truth as they engage in these conversations with other people, you guys are mistaken. You guys are mistaken. This is, this is, a, this is critical to try to have to make excuses for what the Bible says, to try to have to sidestep what the Bible says about anything in order to make your truth work. And then it comes in connection with your truth. Dan, your truth, right? He's smarter than me. I'm not going to use Dan. All right. Uh, <laughs> your, your truth, right, comes in contact. But your truth is different than my truth, and so we have to argue about it, Right? So if this is how my truth is, is, is formed, then this must be how your truth was formed, right? Completely wrong. How could you possibly feel that way? How could you even say that? What, what, how in the world could you feel that that's right? How is that even possible? You've, you've been totally duped. You're listening to that whack job about masks? You know, you're listening to this, you're still listening to this person about vaccines? You're still, you're still reading this thing and watching this news thing. You're still, you're still doing that. You've been totally deceived. That's a foolish opinion. Everybody I know thinks that's a foolish opinion. And, you know, your logic's just stupid, right? Like, let's just face it. We don't say that to people, but when we don't agree with them and they've come to a completely different conclusion than you have, the only thing you think in your mind is, <laughs> you're dumb, right? <laughs> that's what you think. Okay, that, that's what you think. And this is the problem. 
my truth versus your truth. And I, and I read this not that long ago, and, and I really, it really hit me. Everyone seems to be saying the right things. Everybody seems to be saying that they are fighting for truth, and they want truth more than ever. But they're still making judgments on what's true by determining what they sanction as their truth source. They're going to fight for truth. They're going to believe that they have information that you don't have. And it's completely sanctioned. It's completely driven by what they choose to sanction as their truth source. So now it's not even an issue of facts because your truth has your facts and those facts work for you. But my truth has these facts and my facts are better. My truth source is better than your truth source. So you got to understand, people are saying the things that you think should be the right things to say, but it's still relative. It's still a my truth versus your truth argument. What's the Bible got to say about it? <laughs> I love Proverbs. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs hearts. All a person's ways seem right to him, because that's my truth. That's how it works. You know, why wouldn't my way seem right to me? I came up with it. It's my way. Of course it seems right to me. And yet God sees something different. Keep going. Those who trust their own insight are fools, foolish. But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Those, why would, is, it not, is it not our culture to trust your gut, to trust your own insight, to work it out for yourself and to trust what you come up with? Isn't that like currently our, the greatest thing we could possibly do in culture is to trust our own insight? No one knows you better than you. Only you can do you, boo, like you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, know, you are the you. No one else can be the you that you are. So you have to come up with your own insight. And the Bible's going, yeah, but... You don't need to trust your insight alone. You know, there's, there's, in counsel, there's wisdom. That's what it says. Unfriendly people care only about themselves, and they lash out at common sense. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Now, the last part of that verse might, might uh, just declare who you are, but you don't believe the rest of it, you know? Listen, Matt, how are they going to know the, how, how are they going to know how dumb they are if I don't tell them? <laughs> right? Like, how are they going to understand how, how deceived they've been by, by Fox News or how deceived they've been by, by, by CNN if I don't say something on their foolish post? How are they going to know? Here's the reality, and I'll wind down with this. The reality is, is that my truth versus your truth, in terms of arguments, is only going to give us subjective justice, no mercy, and no humility. I know everybody can't see that, but I'm putting it for the camera, right? What does that mean? It means that it doesn't matter whether you have enough scripture in your back pocket or not. If you are still combining it into a stew of your truth, my truth, then when you fight for the justice that you think is needed, you're going to pick up this can and you're going to be like, how dare they? <laughs> right? This is just water, by the way. I don't want, you, I don't want anybody to think I'm doing anything crazy. So, 
I usually do things crazy, but this is just water. How dare they? How dare they tweet something, you know, 10 years ago? How dare you claim ignorance when you were a child? You should have known better. We all know better now. That apology isn't good enough. That thing doesn't need to exist anymore. Everybody with me? This is what we do. And I'm telling you, as long as it's your truth versus my truth, I get to hold the can. I get to hold the can. But I'm telling you, when I go reach for this, which is what, this is what the libertarian and the, the libertarian, the liberal, the utilitarian, and the, and the postmodern, every single one of those approaches, doesn't matter how much you aligned with one of them, they're all you grabbing this can. And dealing out justice when, in terms of the things that you feel like you think justice is required for. And there's absolutely no mercy. There's no forgiveness of people who don't deserve it. That's what mercy is. No humility at all. Proverbs 3, 5 says, we've got to trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Again, just time after time. Always seem right to you, but it's not right. Your feelings, proper opinion, just because you were able to work it out to a rationale doesn't mean it's just, doesn't mean it's right. Trust in the Lord. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. He will show you which path to take, which he already told us. I I require this of you. You have to engage these three things. I don't think we were meant to engage a conversation about justice if we weren't also going to be merciful and we weren't also going to be humble. I don't think we can get there with just justice. I don't think we can get there. I don't think we were ever meant to. Because this is man's you know, attempt to solve the problem. This is God's way of saying, if you are following me and my truth and my way, I'll show you which path to take, which is I want you to act justly. I want you to rise up in justice. Be just in all that you do and what you have control over. Love mercy. You're going to forgive people who don't deserve it. Walk humbly with your God. Because you need to remember who you are. So it doesn't matter. I want you to hear this. It doesn't matter the topic. Racism. Equity and equality. I don't have to demonize those with privilege to have compassion and love and care and want justice for those who have been marginalized. I don't have to fall in the, the world's trap of that. I can do justly and love mercy and walk humbly in that conversation. Abortion, that's why we partner with Love Life down here in Charlotte, right? We have another walk coming up this summer. We'll go down there and pray. We pray and we don't protest, we pray. We stand in the gap for the voiceless and for the powerless. Why? Justice. But we love those who need to be loved, who choose to, to, to respond, who choose to have, have a, a choice for life. And we do not do it in a self-righteous way, ever. Why? Because there's people walking and praying that have had multiple abortions. They're not coming at it from a self-righteous way. 
They're coming at it with a heart of grace and humility. That's why we partner with them. Immigration at the border, all the stuff that's going on right now in our country that everybody's in arms about, you don't think we have an opinion? One-third of your pastoral staff are, are immigrants, okay? I was going to say legal. We're legal, okay? We, we are legal. I'll say it for the record on YouTube. You don't think we have opinions about it? We do. We do. But when I engage in that conversation, God's already told me what's required of me. And I can't engage (laughs) with these three things if I am not trying to live by his truth. So you have a choice. I'm going to close this out. You have a choice. We're going to talk a little bit more about some specifics next week and how it is that we do this. So I'm going to read you some scripture to set us up for it. But I believe you have the choice constantly in every conversation. When you react and you respond, you're going to be a my truth Christian or a his truth disciple. They sure do sound the same, but they are not the same. You're going to be a my truth Christian, you're going to be a his truth disciple, follower. You're going to justify and try to figure it out how you talk to someone with gender dysphoria or struggling with the Equality Act because of their family members who are transgender and what that means for them and how does that work or choosing lifestyles, you know, your kids are choosing to be bisexual or uh, pansexual or choosing a a homosexual lifestyle, and you don't know what to do as a parent, and you have parents in your life that need to engage with you in love and mercy and, and humbly and justly talk about what is true, and yet still have the conversation that doesn't just only work through justice. Does that make sense? You... If you don't think these conversations are happening right now in this room with all of us around all these things, okay, you're foolish. But every time you respond online, in person, you're making a choice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage this conversation as a my truth Christian, which is just me trying to win an argument, slap with some Jesus on it. Or I'm going to be a his truth disciple. What does that mean? Let me show you. The Word of God is alive and active. You know what it means? It means it's not a historic, it's not a history book with dates and times and, and events. It means that as we read these words today, 2,000 years later, they are as powerful and alive and active as they were when they were penned and they were inspired, and they were written for the church and for the Hebrew people of the early church. That's what it means. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And I love this part. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You want to know if you're a little bit confused, if you're arguing a my truth versus a his truth? Well, hold up what you're talking about to the Word of God. Number one, did you even start there in your conversation? Did you even start with what the Bible does or does not say about it in the conversation? I mean, I understand, you know, you can't argue gravity with Scripture. There's no, there's no formulas in there, right? But you have to remember that, that it's not an issue of everything that's true is in Scripture, but we know that everything in Scripture is true. So we have to be able to start there. 
and then move into the conversation. If we're going to be a His truth disciple, we hold up every attitude and thought to the mirror of the Word of God. This is how Paul said it at the church in Corinth. Though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They, we can demolish arguments and every, present, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay? Every, form of, every historical form of justice that sets itself up against the knowledge of God can be, can, you can have a conversation about that breaks that down and shows you why it will fail. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Everybody with me here? This is, this is how we do it. And we're going to go through some examples next week. But this is how we do it. You want to be a His truth disciple, you've got to get past this, like, I'm going to quickly respond on Facebook because what you said kind of ticked me off and I want justice. Versus really engaging in what He's required of us when we really want justice for all. Go back to Micah 6.8. He has shown you, immortal what is good. And what does he require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk in humility, to walk humbly with your God. I'm telling you, if we want justice for all, he told us how to get there. He told us how we can engage in these very difficult conversations. I'm not saying they're easy. They're not easy. We can engage in these very difficult conversations and absolutely continue to show the love of Jesus to everybody that we have these conversations with. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you again for the way your word does challenge us, and I'm so thankful that it corrects us when we're wrong. So God, I just pray this morning, any thoughts, opinions, uh, anything I misquoted uh, that was really wrong, God, your word just is going to challenge that. It's going to cast it from people's minds. Um, God, I, I, I've, <laughs> I know that I can definitely say things that can come out or be, be wrong when I come out, even though I intended something to be right. And so, God, I'm asking that you just pour your grace out through this, this time, this topic. Help every one of us in the room understand that there, there's a much bigger picture here in terms of how you want to engage us. Not how we can win an argument. Not how we can get what we need to get done. Not how we can get on the right side of history when it comes to politics or, or procedures or, or, or equality or equity. God, that's so much bigger than that. And God, those three things, I just prayed those three things that you require of us would, would kind of echo in our minds this week. To what does it mean for us right now, this week, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly and to be a your truth disciple in every conversation we have. God, we thank you. We just pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.